Welcome back to the AMPS podcast. My name's Owen Peters, and for this episode, we are indulging in a bit of a Sound Devices special, as we're joined by two members of the Sound Devices team who are going to tell us all about their latest innovations in wireless hardware. So for anyone interested in digital wireless solutions, upgrading your kit, or just learning more about the expertise of Sound Devices, then this is going to be a great episode for you. To help give us some real-world insight, we're also joined by AMPS Council member John Rodder, a production sound mixer who also regularly uses Sound Devices solutions on location. So we start the conversation with an introduction from each of our guests. I'm Paul Isaacs. I'm Director of Product Management and Design, and I'm very happy to be here today. Thanks. Yeah, and I'm Gary Trenda. I'm a RF Applications Engineer at Sound Devices. It's great to be with you. Great. Thanks both. And also joined by an extra special guest, a fellow AMPS Council member, John Rodder. John, if you could introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm John Rodder. I'm a freelance sound mixer. Um, I've been doing it for 43 years, and I'm currently working for Netflix on a show called Bridgerton. Brilliant. Thank you. So um, maybe we could start just by Paul and Gary just introducing that product line and telling us a little bit about it for context. Sure. Um, Singer Sound Devices has always been involved in production sound on the mixer and recorder front. It seemed like um, a natural progression to also start looking at developing wireless technology as well, because it's all essentially part of the same package, right? And we'd already introduced our super slot protocol, which allows third-party manufacturers to connect their you know, slot-based receivers to our mixer recorders via this 25-pin connector. No, we already had sort of like uh, immersed ourselves in the story of um, the interconnectivity between wireless receivers and our recorder mixers, but that was really just the first small step. What we really wanted to do is get into developing our own wireless receivers and transmitters and we we'd been familiar with audio limited the the very well-known english wireless company and we'd also known kish for a long time kish and lee and it became apparent we had a lot in common we had very similar sort of philosophical um, ideas in terms of how we developed our product sort of uh, the type of quality that we were looking for and over a period of time it became obvious that it was a natural fit for for us to acquire audio limited and um, that's what we did around five years ago now and kish and lee are still very much a part of the team they are part of the sound devices team and now all the wireless products um, are developed by us all here at sound devices our first uh venture into wireless was with the A10 product line, which comprised of the A10 uh, body pack transmitter, belt pack transmitter, and the A10 RX, dual channel true diversity digital receiver. And they proved to be very successful. But what we've done recently in the last year is introduce the next generation of our wireless, which is we're calling the A20 family. Okay. And right now it comprises of the A20 mini transmitter, ideal for mounting under sort of clothing and stuff and hiding very well on a a body. So it's really great for drama and film. 
and the A20RX dual channel true diversity digital receiver, which is a big step change in new wireless technology. And I guess the, the big thing that we'd like to talk more about today, amongst other things, is this new technology, which we call SpectraBand, which um, introduces a couple of really sort of like new things to the uh, wireless industry for production sound. And that is super wide tuning range from 470 to 1525. But also um, we include built-in very steep roll-off filters, which make these receivers more immune to out-of-band interference than any other receiver on the market. And, you know, this is fantastic, especially for uh, bag-type work where you often have IFB and camera hops in the bag. And with those being close to talent receivers, it can often sort of knock down your range. So with having these great filters, it's uh, a big step forward. Um, and I will let Gary get in because he knows way more about this than I do. <laughs> I'm learning very quickly. Um, but um, the A20 system basically is comprises of the A20RX dual channel, true diversity receiver, and the A20 mini, mini transmitter. But it's also compatible with our existing A10TX um, transmitter. This is a fully digital wireless system, um, the advantages of which you can really densely pack your channels together. They only need to be spaced at like 400 kilohertz. Um, and there's no concern about intermod between the, these channels. So it's that's one of the big advantages of digital over analog. So we, we're very happy with that spectral efficiency. Um, we do pride ourselves on having the best sounding of all the wireless out there. And it's not us saying that. You can almost go onto any forum these days and everyone says, yeah, if you want the best sounding, really, sound devices, A10 or A20 system is the one for you. And that really stems from, well, obviously, sound devices very much puts audio quality at the very top of its priorities. But Audio Limited did as, as well. I mean, John, did you ever use Audio Limited wireless? I My first ones were RMS 7s. Then I went to 2000, RMS 2000s, then 2020s, and then uh, moved on to the A20, A10, sorry. A10s. Okay. So I've been a audio limited and then sound devices customer for, for 35 years, something like that. And how do you feel the sound quality? Have we continued that um, line of quality? Second to none. Uh, audio limited have always said that their radio mics... you. Very, find it very difficult to tell the difference between a cabled mic and a, and a radio mic mm. and that has been the case ever since we first started using them um, we were using uh, radio booms uh, instead of cable booms because of the flexibility of it mm -hmm. and that was at least 25 years ago I started doing that so and I haven't looked back you know I've always had a big uh, stock of radio mic equipment mm -hmm. for talent and for booms and always been very happy with them. Uh, the great advantage of having a uh, service base in the UK is that I can send something to, um, well, it used to be High Wycombe. Before that, it was uh, Wendell Road, was it Wendell Road? Mm -hmm. And before that, and now, obviously, it goes to um, uh, Watford, and it turns around real quick, really fast. They turn it around and get it back to me. So, you know, if you've got a problem, it's solved in a hurry. Yeah, that's great. Um you know, on the subject of audio, we also, with the A20 Mini transmitter, the Mini transmitter, we introduced a new technology which we refer to as Gain Forward. 
Uh, people may have seen that sort of name being banded around on various forums. But what that basically means is that you no longer need to adjust the gain on the transmitter, which has always been, you know, a pain in the backside. It's just an extra thing to worry about, you know, worrying about is the gain set at, at an optimal level for whispering and screaming. You know, as we know, when actors emote, they can go from very quiet to very loud. And sometimes it can be a challenge having to adjust that trim. But with this gain forward technology, there's no need to do that because the dynamic range of the preamp on the A20 Mini is so wide, it's wider than any lav on the market and quieter than any lav on the market. Essentially, we transmit that whole dynamic range to the receiver and then you just adjust the trim gain on your mixer or your recorder without any penalty for adding noise and, and there's no danger of that signal that's coming from the A20 mini transmitter clipping. So that's the equivalent of transmitting 32-bit? I'm not going to get into the weeds of how we do it, but essentially, yes. Essentially, yes. You, that's what 32-bit float introduced, and we first introduced that technology back with our Mix Pre Series 2 you know, a few years ago. Uh, where it seems like magic and people think it's marketing baloney, but it's not at all. Until you tried it, 32-bit float, you realise you can literally record at minus 60 dBFS or record over zero dBFS and not have any audio quality penalty. So 32-bit float definitely has that benefit. And we're utilising some of the technology and the architecture that we use for that to make... To, to make gain forward happen. Yeah, I think we took kind of that same mindset to a wireless transmitter where if you think about the dynamic range of a, of a lav mic, because this has got a, a Limo input, so you're going to have a, typically a lav mic, with, and we know it's got a 5-volt power supply to it, right? So this is kind of my engineering side of it. So we know what the level of clipping is going to be on a lav mic, right? And we can make sure we don't exceed that. And the dynamic range on a lav mic is, you know, maybe 110 dB at best, and so with the gain with the capture on the gain forward we're able to capture 130 dB worth of dynamic range. So really your decision point is what's the right lav mic to use because different lav mics have different sensitivities. And so as long as you don't overload the actual lav mic element, we're able to capture the audio coming off the lav mic and send that across the wireless link. And your first real adjustment of the gain then is at the receiver, or if you're docked into a sound device's uh, 8 series mixer recorder, it's the trim right on your mixer recorder. Yeah. And, and the thing to note there is, yeah, I mean, it works really, really nicely with the 8 series, especially if you're using the SL2 as well, because you can then just slot in your receivers. But, you know, this is, you, you can still get the benefits of going forward, even with third party mixers and recorders too. All you would do is set your A20 RX receiver to unity gain and come out digitally. Um, whether that's digitally via an A10 rack, uh, via Dante or AAS, or directly via AAS, directly into whatever mixer you're using. Be because the connection is digital, you're not gonna be adding any further layers of noise. So just set your receiver to unity gain and adjust the digital trim um, on your mixer recorder. So, yeah, that's been received very well. There's no concern there to have to uh, have a system where you 
backlink to the transmitter to adjust your trim gain on the transmitter. You can now think of your wireless as if it's like a wired microphone. It's, it's uh, like that's the principle there. Um, so, you know, other than audio quality, w w when we first released our first gen product four or five years ago, the A10, you know, it was received very well. But, you know, since then, we've really looked to improve the technology always. I mean, this is something that Sound Devices does all the time. We're always looking to improve our gear. And one of the big, big things that we've recent, fairly recently done is introduced a new modulation scheme. And we refer to that as long range. It really does truly um, give a significant increase in range to the standard um, modulation scheme, which we first brought out. Not that that was bad, but we found with our experience and, and knowledge of RF, we were able to, with some very clever engineering, and we've got some very talented engineers here, uh, come up with a new modulation scheme which significantly increases that range. And the only caveat there is you're getting a slight increase in latency. So our original modulation scheme was around 2 milliseconds, very, very low. Um, the new modulation scheme takes it up to only 3.9 milliseconds, which for easily the majority of production sound wireless applications is still really low. So it's not anything to be concerned about. The advantage for me with long-range modulation is I've just put it on all my transmitters, so the booms and the personal mics, they're all on long-range modulation, which means that if I've shifted the delay a little bit by 5 instead of 3 milliseconds or 4 instead of 3 milliseconds, whatever it is, then everything has shifted. Right. So I'm not uh, shifting the phase of anything in relation to anything else. Mm. So it works really well. We should say that 3.9 milliseconds is pretty low compared to anything you find on the market. So even there, it's still really, really good. It's also changed the A10s enormously. The, the mm. A10 transmitters, sorry, A20s, when they first came out, the the range was quite limited. I was finding on body packs on, a, on an actor, they had relatively... Uh, limited range so you had to choose when you could use them but long range mode has made the A20s completely usable in all situations mm. anecdotally I'm going to let Gary cut in in a minute I'm talking way too much don't worry Gary your time is coming <laughs> <laughs> um, we're hearing back from quite a number of users of the A20 mini to say that and the A10TX, that they are able to get a good amount of range even on the lowest RF power setting now of 2 milliwatts. On, on, that's on the A20 Mini. They're sort of like getting comparable range in some situations to what they were getting with 10 milliwatts. So this has benefits also. It's always best to run at lower power for battery um, run time and just because you don't want to sort of like have unnecessary amounts of RF power in your environment, you know, don't push it unless you really need to. Have you got any comments on that, Gary? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely something we've been focusing on is we're in this transition where there are still production sound mixers who are using analog systems, but a lot of people are thinking about moving to the digital systems, you know, like as you mentioned, for sound quality. Also for some of the unique features, I mean, like when A10 came out, being able to do 48-volt phantom power and put uh, put that right on a boom was sort of, you know, unique for a body pack digital system. I think it still might be the only body pack that does 48-volt phantom 
uh, for for boom if you need to. There are some plug-ons that'll do it as well, obviously. But yeah, that so we're thinking about how do we replace these analog systems, which generally operated at a higher power level, so generally had good range, and so. That was the focus with the long-range modulation scheme was to improve the sensitivity so that with a lower power, relatively speaking, lower power digital system, you can still get that same type of range that you're expecting. And then, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the new A20 receiver, which is sort of the next step in that for us is we're trying to figure out now what what are some other challenges that people are seeing on set. And, you know, a lot of people are seeing, you know, just noisy RF environments and more local interference. And so we're trying to additionally filter out some of those things so that the long-range modulation, along with better filtering on the receiver, we're trying to give you you the best possible performance that we can out of that system. Mm. We should probably also mention here, Gary, that the A20RX and A10RX are both true diversity digital wireless, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, we're actually... You know, in a, a slot chassis receiver, we've got four radios. So you've got an A antenna and a B antenna for each audio channel, right? So we're taking the A and B antennas in, we're feeding them into, uh, you know, the, those four radios, and then we're figuring out for each audio channel, am I getting the best audio off of A or B? And we're doing that after we've decoded the RF and we're into a, a digital audio stream and trying to figure out which essentially packets of, of uh, data coming off of this radio are the best. And so um, that's also something that just gives you the best possible performance because you're able to, you know, look at that audio and say, okay, this is my, my best audio stream and this is how I'm going to, as we're on that margin of, you know, reception, you can hang on to the audio as, as, as long as possible as you're getting into, you know, marginal reception areas. Mm-hmm. The Q meter is, is a great way of seeing what the quality of your audio is. Oh, I mean, yes. That makes a massive difference. And, and you'll f- I find that even though the RF indicator is starting to drop away, the Q is still full fat. So, yeah, they, they hold on brilliantly. Yeah, when we, we first added the Q meter to the A10 receiver with a firmware update, and then now it's obviously standard on the A20 receiver. And that's something we've talked to people a lot about because if you're in an environment that has some sort of local interference, you may see full bars on your uh, signal, but if something contributing to those full bars of signal is interference, you'll wonder why the audio is dropping out. But the Q meter is a good indicator of, okay, I've got full bars, but my Q meter is dropping, there's something interfering with me. Or, you know, as John said, if my signal sort of strength on the, the what we call an RSSI meter, right? the receive signal strength. If that those bars start to drop, but you still see five bars of Q, you know that you're just getting further away from the receiver, but you've still got good audio quality coming off of the receiver, and you're, you know, that you'll see the Q start to drop then as you get to the edge of your usable range. Yeah, so it gives you the pre-warning. You know, you could, once you see it drop from five bars to four bars, you think, okay, we might be starting to get near the edge of range, but still going to have nice clean audio quality. Three bars, you will as well. But at that point, you really, you really want to start thinking about adjusting things. So yeah. But yeah, the 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 Q, the Q meter and the long range modulation are two examples of us adding new features and being able to offer them as free firmware updates. So the A10 system benefited from those as well, and uh, it's just an example that we we like to support as much as possible our older hardware as well where we can i mean we people were 
incredibly surprised when we brought out this new modulation scheme and there's a lot of scepticism about it, like, oh, yeah, this is some marketing hyperbole. But when they tried it, it was like, wow, this is incredible and the audio quality is exactly the same. And How do you do it? And all we can just say really is, uh, well, magic engineering magic so what i was going to say people are thinking about now now with the new modulation system the new um spectrum available and uh gain forward on the a10s people are thinking about upgrading i guess because there's a offer on at the moment for people who want to um upgrade their a10s to the new system if i wanted to get gain forward would i have to go for the frequency upgrade as well the uh bandwidth upgrade the gain forward is only um, available on with the A20 Mini transmitter. You get all the benefits of gain forward with the original A10 receiver, so you don't need to update to the A20RX. The main reasons for updating to the A20RX are really it's the SpectraBand technology, which I'm going to let Gary sort of break down a little bit more in a clear way for you right now to explain what that's all about. Gary? Yeah, so SpectraBand is what we're calling our wideband tuning. So with the A20 receiver, we're able to tune from 470 megahertz all the way up to 1525, so over 1.5 gig. Uh, And that really gives us a lot of great options for sort of alternate tuning bands, um, because there are it, it obviously it's all country dependent. Like saying you can tune from 470 to 1525. It's whatever within that window is legal in the country that you're in is what we're gonna allow the transmitter to transmit at, and then the receiver to receive. And this is an A20 feature as far as the A20 mini transmitter. And as Paul said, we're a little bit forward thinking with these things. Like the A20 mini transmitter came out about a year ago, and when it came out, it just matched up with the A10 receiver because that what's we had. That's what we had, but when the A20 receiver came out, we had a firmware update for the A20 Mini that allows it to now uh, transmit on this wider tuning. Yeah, rate. it went from 47698 to 471525. Yeah, yeah. So some some examples of why this is beneficial. Um, you know, for I'm in the U.S., so I'll give you some U.S. examples. But we've got uh, bands for wireless mics that are in. 600 megahertz, 900 megahertz, and then up to almost 1.5 gigs. So it opens these three additional areas up to us for for operating wireless mics, which can be beneficial if your UHF TV band is getting crowded because most wireless mics tend to operate in that core UHF TV band, which is 470 to 608 in the U.S. I think it's 470 to 694 in the U.K. Um, U.K. examples would be that now we can tune to... The, there's an 800 megahertz band that's fairly popular there. There's DME bands that are allowed in, in the UK. And so with the proper licenses for these different bands, now you've got a lot of places that you can place microphones that are hopefully cleaner, quieter spectrum than your TV bands because we're seeing a lot of places where there's just a lot of broadcast television and that's taken up a lot of the spectrum where you know, we've traditionally just been the secondary users of that spectrum with wireless microphones. You know, one of the big benefits of having such a wide tuning band is that mean all in one piece of hardware is that you have one receiver, one transmitter that can cover the entire world. You don't need all these separate SKUs for different um, frequency chunks. So it makes it far more of a, uh, 
an affordable system and one which is much easier to manage your inventory of what... Because essentially you know the product will cover everywhere. And, um, yeah, that that's uh, especially important if you're a travelling production sound mixer. Well, and also there's uncertainty about spectrum in various parts of the world. You know, what we're on, we're on uh, Channel 38 at the moment and we could lose that, we could easily lose that. And yeah. 10 years ago or 15 years ago when it happened last time, a whole bunch of stuff you know, became useless overnight. And for some uh, owners, they were able to get uh, compensation from the government and other people were left high and dry with uh, a bunch of useless kit. Actually, you've made a really good point there. I mean, because we are in, in still a very much an ever-changing world as far as the spectrum is concerned. So knowing that the system that uh, you invest in can adapt to that is... Uh, you know, gives you a feeling of security. So, yeah, Gary, do you want to carry on with the Spectra band? So we've spoken about the wide tuning band, but what about the filtering aspect? Let's get into that in a little bit more, get into the weeds there. Yeah, so that's the, the second aspect of Spectra band where we've opened up this very wide tuning range, but now, as most people who've been using wireless for a lot of years can tell you, like the, there are some problems with a very wide tuning band. You don't necessarily want a receiver to be looking at all of the RF energy coming in from 470 to 1525. You need to have some way to narrow that down so that you're not overloading the receiver and, and causing yourself some other problems. So what we've introduced uh, is uh, some soft filters on the front end. A soft filter is just a specific kind of RF filter that we're switching in different uh, soft filters for what we're calling tuning bands. And so kind of your workflow with an A20 receiver is you're going to do a scan of your, you know, pick what part of the, you know, local RF environment makes sense for your country, do a scan in, in that uh, range. And then within that range, you might see four or six different tuning band options. And so you're going to then be able to pick the optimal tuning band. The bandwidth of these uh, tuning bands is 24 to 36 megahertz, kind of depending on where you are in the, in the range. But uh, you're going to pick this sort of window where you're going to then tune your two frequencies uh, from your microphones within that window. And so you're able to get the benefits of narrowing in on an area that's clean, doesn't have a lot of local interference. You're going to filter out any interference outside of that window. Um, and so you've got kind of the advantage of some of these older radio mic systems that might have only had 24 meg worth of, of tuning range, but you're also able to select that across the entire 470 to 1525 bandwidth. Yes, yeah, so um, just further to that, these saw filters have very, very steep rolled off. I mean, compared to other products that are out there in the market, without mentioning any names, these have the tightest roll off, uh, steep, steepest roll off of any tracking filters. <laughs> I shouldn't really call them tracking filters because these are actually fixed filters. We've just got many of them within the A20RX. I think we have a total of 40 of these saw filters within the A20RX. And just to give you an idea, you know, if, you're, if you talk about the uh, center frequency of one of these filters being, say, I don't know, four, like maybe 495, if that's where your filter goes from 470 to 495, if you go maybe a couple of megahertz outside of that window, say about 497, the amount of attenuation at 497 is around f over 40 dBs down compared to peak. Now, you look at any other filter in any other receiver out there, you'd probably be around more like 2 or 3 dBs down. 
which is not a lot of attenuation on out-of-band interference. Yeah. So in, in those cases, you have to obviously move your interfering frequency or find a way to get as far away from that interfering frequency as possible. But with our system, you can use the spectrum far more efficiently and place your wanted uh, frequencies much closer to that interfering signal. Right. Yeah, the reason that you want a, a steep roll-off on an RF filter is for strong local interfering frequencies. And I think a common example of that for location sound folks is you've got IFB transmitters, camera hop transmitters, that sort of thing, where those might be in the bag with the receiver or they're at least nearby. And so uh, you still need to place those as far away as is practical, right? Because the distance for your tuning is always a good thing. But having a steep roll-off means, as Paul's explaining, that you could... Uh, for example, one of our tuning bands uh, starts at 588, and if you placed an IFB transmitter at 570, that tuning band that goes from 588 up to you know 600 and some megahertz, anything within that tuning band wouldn't really see any strong interfering signal from the IFB. It's going to be filtered out, and so that's the point of it. Is we're trying to, you know, as long as this window of the tuning band has clean available spectrum, we can ignore interfering signals that are outside of that, where other wideband systems, you, you kind of need to figure out a, a clean area of spectrum that covers a, a much broader uh, broader range than just that tuning band. Well, the old, in the old days, it was the steam hammer um, to crack the nut, wasn't it? You just crank up the power on an analog transmitter and hope that that would be enough to, to blank out the, uh, what's it, anything else on the that little bit of FM spectrum. Right. But these days, obviously, it, you, you can work much more subtly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I think some people already use these types of like steep roll-off saw filters, but they 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 purchase them in like these little external inline filter boxes. You've probably seen them, right? Yeah, they're they're more common in narrower bandwidths. Like you can buy a saw filter for well, at least in the U.S. the 940 bands, and there's 941.5 to 960 is one of the bands that we have available here, and you can buy external filters for bands like that. Some of the um, products out there like you know i think people are familiar with the WYSICOM has uh filter amplifiers on some of their antennas it's lfa bfa series things uh those will have some of them are tunable filters and some of them are switched saw filters for filtering out uh, interference there it's all kind of the same idea that you want to filter and then you want to amplify right because as soon as you don't filter before an amplifier you could potentially overload your amplifier I think a lot of the things that I end up talking to people about with RF application side of things get into that sort of thing, like understanding your RF gain structure in a similar way to understanding your audio gain structure, where, you know, uh, as John mentioned, we used to just put stronger transmitters out there and hope for the best, right? But at some point, you're going to overload your RF amplifier. That's what we find ourselves up against, because other people on the on a film unit, on a, in a film location, they don't work the way we do. They're trying to get a picture to the director who is 100 feet away, and they will wind up the uh, power on their Teradec or their, their uh, Vaxis transmitters, and, and they can end up stamping on our, our radio signals by doing it. And, and then you've got the problem with the proximity of our shark fins to their kit, which they will you know, try and always get as close as they can, just like we will get as close as we can. But they're sending high power and we're sending low power. But uh, the um, the saw filters on the uh, Wizzy shark fins are fantastic at 
removing as much as possible of the of the unnecessary unwanted RF at the front end and then coming into the digital A20s the uh, reception of those is very good at rejecting the unwanted uh, external influences. Yeah and that's another thing I've gotten questions about with the new A20 receiver and the improved filtering that we're putting on that you know because we've got these filters now at the receiver what does that mean for somebody who's using uh, external uh, filter amplifier systems and really um, if you can use a, just a passive shark fin antenna or a passive omni depending on your application and feed it directly into the a20 receiver that's usually going to give you excellent performance now because we've got the filtering at the receiver um, if you do need to use an amplified antenna then we still recommend a filtered and amplified antenna because you need to filter before you go into that amplifier stage that's at the antenna but if you're using low-loss cable, a lot of times you can get maybe up to 50 feet away with just low-loss coaxial cable and a passive antenna. But if you need to run 100, 150 feet, then certainly an amplified antenna is going to be helpful in that case. And having a good filter on there, like we, you know, we use the WYSIWYG stuff uh, quite a bit. I've, I've used it you know, before I came to work for sound devices. I've used it quite a bit, and it's, good. it's a good product. And I think they do a good job with exactly that, like filtering, then amplifying, and sending the signal back over a long coaxial run. But it also works very well because you can control it within the software of the um, Scorpio, the 8 series. You can talk to the, the shark fins and turn on and off and adjust the uh, various parameters on those uh, LFBs. Yeah, that's a great point. We we actually support the WYSICOM control protocol from the 8 series mixer recorder. So you can get in there and you can change filter settings. You can change gain settings at your remote antenna. You never have to get out of your chair. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we should, you know... so. Just going, summarising that the workflow with the A20RX receiver is, as Gary said, you know, you would uh, come in first thing, scan the, the the part of the spectrum you're interested in. And you obviously you can do the scan actually on the receiver itself. Uh, there's a menu there where you can initiate the scan. And you can select pretty much any part of the entire spectrum from 470 to up, up to 1525. So you just... Choose that part you want to scan, and once you've done, done that, you then choose which tuning band you want to work within for your two frequencies. And from there, you can either manually select which frequencies you want to work with, or better still, use the uh, new auto-assign feature, which will simply just go through the tuning band and look for the two cleanest frequencies. And then say, hey, do you want to use these frequencies? And you just say yes, and then it, it throws them into the receiver for you. So it's a fairly straightforward and smooth workflow, and it's uh, low stress. Yeah, I think that's the feedback we've been getting from a lot of people is in a sort of a fast-paced environment, they might show up on a location, particularly like ENG folks, where they're going to show up and they just need to find two frequencies quickly. And so being able to do a scan, figure out your cleanest tuning band, select that, go to your tuning band, select auto-assign, proposes two frequencies to you say yep let's try those assign them into your transmitters and go and it it really speeds up your workflow quite a bit now now if you are using an eight series recorder mixer then you do have an an, an sl2 which is the uh, slot chassis that you can buy as an accessory and fit on top of an eight series via the expansion port that has two slots you could put two a20rx and then to give you a total of four channels and there it's even neater because you can control all this directly from your 8 series. And so you get nice big scan plots. Um, it's far 
easier to get in there than go through the A20RX menu. Not that it's difficult. We've, it's a fairly straightforward menu system on the A20RX, but it's always nice to have a big screen to show you what's what. And the other nice thing about that is if you have those two A20RX and then you do an auto assign, it will automatically look for four clean frequencies for you and then distribute them amongst your four receiver channels. The integration with the slot receivers is something we haven't talked a lot about, but yeah, there is integration to that nice, you know, big color screen on your 8 series for the A10 receivers, the A20 receivers. We support other manufacturers receivers as well, so there's uh, you could look in the user guide to see the full list, but there's, you know, kind of your popular receivers from Electrosonics and Wizicom and Sure that are integrated in there as well. So having the ability to control your receiver from the 8 Series Mixer Recorder is something people seem to like a lot. Yeah, and we, we can do... Sorry, Karen, John, you've got a question. I'll let you... No, sorry, I've got, two, I've got two elephants in the room. Okay. Tell me when you're going to have a four-channel receiver, which is what every sound mixer wants to know. Gary, come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, this is the point of the podcast where... Oh, so I feel very sick. <laughs> COVID is getting to me. Um, as you know, that uh, Sound Devices is a very tight-lipped company uh, about what's coming next. Um, we all sign an employee contract when we join the company, and we we are agree to part with our private parts <laughs> if, if we talk about any future product development. So we can't get any into any specifics there, John. Um, all I will tell you is that wireless is a, a huge priority for sound devices right now. All our products are a big priority, but wireless especially is our big, big focus. Just like with, and this might be, come across as a bit arrogant, but just like with recorders and mixers, we became the world leader in production sound for that. We want to do the same with wireless, and we think we know how to do it. And we're already making strides there in, in a short space of time. You can see examples with, like, the, the long-range modulation scheme is, like, a significant step forward. I mean, in, in all our tests with other wireless out there, we're pretty confident that it's the best on the market in terms of range now. We know we've got the best audio quality. We've got this gain forward. And now we have this great, super, the widest range of all receivers out there with, with the spectra band and this like uh, second to none filtering. So all these are technological steps which are part of the A20 platform. And we're, we're going to be taking this forward. We, we haven't, we're not just going to stop there and say, okay, we're done now. It's just not in our nature to do that. We very much know what users want. We know that the need for more and more channels, wireless channels, is uh, getting up there. More wireless channels in a smaller space. So, yep, we understand that. And just, you know, watch this space, you know, as time goes by. Gary? Yeah. I, I'd like to steal a line from uh, one of the other manufacturers that we're friends with. They All of their employees just like to say, we're always working on new and innovative products, which, you know, of course, everybody is. But... Um, yeah, we're definitely focusing on the wireless space. And uh, with A20RX, one of the things that we wanted to do was give people an upgrade path. And so A10RX to A20RX, as, as John mentioned before, you can actually send your A10 in and we can swap out a board internally and, and turn it into an A20. And so I think that's a good thing for our existing user base, but I also think that limited some of the things we're able to do with it. So 
as we continue to develop on this A20 product line, I think you're going to see some you know other things in there that are going to address additional user requests. And the, sorry, and the one other thing I was going to say is lots of people would be very interested in the SL3 so that you could have six channels on the top of the Scorpio. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's, you're exactly right. An SL3 would really only fit a Scorpio. So, uh, yeah, with something we think about is how many, how many channels of wireless do people want in a bag and how many channels of, people, of wireless do people want in a cart and how do you best address those user requests? I think there's a lot of people use a Scorpio as a, as a bag machine mm-hmm. because, you know, rather than have a, a machine for the bag and a machine for the cart, they would go with a, a, a Scorpio because it's all singing and all dancing. Yeah. So, you know, you, it's the best of both worlds. Hey, John, have you ever have you ever used the A10 rack yeah. in your, any of your work? I've got A10 rack, I've got two SL2s, I've got a Scorpio and a 888. Mm. So did you see, you know, I know, you know, during the pandemic, but maybe now going forward, do you see people remoting their receivers more than they used to? I remote my uh, aerials more than I used to, but I... The uh, A10 rack stays on my cart because I want to be able to see the receivers and see what's going on with uh, radio level, audio level, battery level, all those sorts of things. That's important to me. So I need that kind of telemetry at my end rather than, you know, 100 metres away on the end of a Dante cable. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's more useful for me to have all the receivers with me. And if necessary, I'll move closer to the action. So, you know, just so that the receivers are with me at all times. I understand people want, you know, some people might put in a fixed rig and uh, put the receivers at a distance, but it works better for me to have them on the cart with me. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you want to yeah, have sense. local control yeah. and yeah. you want to have local monitoring and all that. You know, there are a few other subjects we should talk about uh, while we're here. We haven't really talked at all about um, the A20 remote app, which is the control app for the A20 mini transmitters. Um, so we can talk about that, and then we can talk about some of the um, accessories that are part of this A20 system too. Um, but yeah, the the A20 Mini is a small receipt, uh, transmitter, and uh, we have an iOS and Android app for controlling that over Bluetooth. And I know that uh, those users out there who had uh, experienced the A10TX and the original A10 remote app, it didn't get a lot of positive reviews. And understandably, because the, re- the, the Bluetooth range from that app to control the A10TX was not great. So we dealt with that with the A20 Mini and this A20 remote app. And, uh, you know, you can get anywhere from up to 100 feet um, obviously, it very much depends on the environment, how much Bluetooth is going on in the environment. Typically, you're probably looking at more like 20 to 40 feet if there's a lot of uh, Bluetooth going on around you. But I've had up to 100 feet line of sight. Yeah, the point is it's something we really tried to optimize with the A20 mini transmitter because we knew the you know challenges that we had seen with A10. And so, you know, because the, uh, the mini is under clothing, you don't want to have to start fiddling around every time you want to make an adjustment. So really, as long as you're within like 10, 20 feet, you can make all those or 30, whatever it is, feet, depending on the environment. You can make any change you like to that A20 Mini. You can change its frequency. You can change its RF power level. You can mute the audio. You can put the unit into record. We should remind people that both the uh, A10TX and the A20 Mini transmitters are actually 
have recorders built in as well. Um, and if you're outside the US, you can record and transmit simultaneously. If you're in the US, you can only record and transmit if you're on a boom. You can't record and transmit if you've got it on body with a lav mic. Yeah. But the A20 remote offers some other key nice things as well, because you can actually turn off, power off the A20 mini transmitter. And it's like a very quick process. It takes a second to power off, a second to power on. But that means like if you're if you're between scenes and there's a set change or what have you, and there's like 10, 15 minutes downtime or what have you, just turn the units off. You can do it all remotely. Turn the units off and preserve some of the battery runtime. Yeah, when it when an A20 Mini is off, the Bluetooth radio, the BLE, stays on. And so that's that's the only thing that's running. And the battery on an A20 Mini could run that Bluetooth radio for weeks months <laughs> yeah, yeah for quite a long time yeah so that but it remains on so you're still able to wake it up from your app on your phone or tablet yeah and what we did is we also added this group control feature as well so what you you know if you've got like an inventory of say eight a20 minis you can pair them all with your a20 remote app and then they're in this like inventory list. It's called, we call it the transmitter list. And they're all available to use if you want to use them or not. Um, but then you can create groups. Um, you can create a custom group of whichever transmitters from the list you like, or it can be an all transmitter group. And when you then go to the group control page, you can power on and off multiple transmitters all at once or put a whole group of transmitters into record or stop recording all at once. So it's a one-touch command to control a whole group. And you can also control a whole bunch of other parameters as well that way. But it just makes the whole system a, a very neat, streamlined system to use. It's a very handy thing being able to turn them all off while they're you know, changing camera setup. Turn all the A20s off, then come back to them and turn them all on together just with one button press. Yeah, and that, that's also good for privacy of the actors as well, sort of, so you can just either mute them or turn them all off in one button press and uh, just re-enable them once they're back on. One of the nice things about having a transmitter that's controlled by an app that runs on a phone or tablet is that you can take advantage of location services on the phone. So when you turn on the A20 remote app, it knows what country you're in, and it'll automatically... Uh, set to that country and so then you've got the correct country setting for putting frequencies in your transmitters uh, and with the a20 receiver you would just go in and select the country in the receivers just so you have the same compatible frequency lists for the country that you're operating in and so as we talked about before let's say you're in europe and maybe you're moving between countries that you know makes it pretty easy for you to just turn on your app your app knows that you're in a new country tell the receiver what country you're in and you're off and running yeah so that's definitely worth checking out the a20 remote app uh, runs on a phone or a tablet by the way we should talk about accessories now i think uh, gary this because there's quite a lot of them surrounding this whole sort of a20 family and uh, while we're on the subject of the a20 mini we do actually have a what's called the power station 8m which is a, an eight-way charging station. So, you know, you can take your minis, throw them in. There's a little USB-C connector on the top of the mini, and um, that basically slides into the uh, power station. You can fit eight in, and then they will all just, like, charge all simultaneously. Um, typically, they'll be fully charged within a, a couple of hours, ready for the next day. Now, that power station also offers... Um, Two other features. It's got a time code input on it, a BNC input, 
And uh, you think, well, why, why has it got a time code input? Well, we did just mention before that these minis do have the ability to record. In fact, a mini can record over 80 hours of audio. <laughs> so plenty there. And when you're recording, obviously, you want to make sure they, are, they have time code sync so that the material is easy to sync up with camera. And uh, so by basically, you connect a source of time code, your master time code, to the rear of the, of the power station ATEM. And then when you slot in your mini transmitters in there, it'll automatically jam them all. And once you've removed them, they'll hold accurate time code for a long time. There's virtually zero drift there. And even when you power the A20 minis down, they will hold accurate time code for four hours. The uh, A20 minis can be jammed in other ways as well, not just via the power station. They, uh, as I said, this USB-C port, you can connect it to, uh, we've got these accessory cables, BNC to USB-C or Limo to USB-C to jam the timecode in directly on the Mini. But you can also jam directly from the 8 series as well. As you know, there's a USB-A port on the 8 series. You just need a USB-A to USB-C cable plug one end into the USB on the 8 series, the other end into this, and then go to your timecode menu and you'll see this A20 jam menu. You just touch that, hit jam, and you can jam directly from your 8 series. Um, that all happens over USB. Yeah, and the power station, But in addition to being able to jam, obviously it's a charging dock for it. So we're putting eight A20 minis into this power station and you can charge them from there. Uh, it also allows for file transfer. So you've got a USB 3 hub built into it. So if you have been recording to all of your A20 minis, all eight of them then will connect to the USB hub and you can plug in to, let's say, your laptop and you can pull all the files off of all eight. Uh, they'll just mount as you know, external storage drives when you plug it into your laptop. Yeah, a bit more detail on that. So yeah, we, we wanted to really provide a really streamlined workflow for getting all these um, transmitter audio. So you've got eight transmitters connect them to your power station. All these uh, 820 minutes appear as volumes on your desktop. You can then drag all of those into a free utility we have created for Mac and Windows called SD Utility. And you can drag all the files directly into the window of this app and then essentially conform the files to a sound report that comes from your sound device's recorder. So it will automatically conform the files to match the exact length of your files on your 8 series. And then you can automatically merge all of these individual WAV files on your transmitters into one big poly file. That's a massive time saver for anyone who works in post-production, Owen. Yes, <laughs> I was just thinking how much yeah, easier that makes file management. It's definitely worth downloading that and having it on your computer for that eventuality. It really streamlines things. Because typically, I think a workflow is that at the beginning of the day, your people who are recording on their transmitters are going to set them into record at the beginning of the day and just let them run through the day, especially on stuff like reality show when you have no idea, it's unscripted or whatever like that. So to then be able to get all this data in and then just conform sections out of those long files. I mean, you can either conform to a timecode range, which you manually enter, or you can conform to a sound report. 
to pull out the actual audio you really want and then you can merge it into one big polyphile if you choose. Then you also end up without all the hours of audio that was recorded that doesn't relate to any picture. That's the key point. Yeah, that's a very key point. Yeah. Gary, do you want to talk about accessories a little bit? I mean, we obviously we've done the power station, so but what about all the back plates and things like that? And- yeah, so we you know, when with the A ten, uh you can order it with a 25 pin backplate, which is for that super slot protocol we talked about. So if you're putting it in an SL2 chassis, uh, there's also just a XLR backplate that has some cabled leads uh, with XLR that you can feed analog or AES audio out of the receiver if you're using it in an application where it's not super slot. Uh, and that's got like a four pin uh, high rose DC power jack on that as well. Uh, we're offering those same plates for the A20 receiver, and coming very soon is going to be a TA3 backplate, which is something we've had some requests for. So similar in function to the XLR backplate, but it's more compact. It's just a backplate that fits right on the slot chassis, and it'll have the two uh, TA3 audio outputs. Same thing, you can do uh, AES on the first one, or you can do analog on one and two. Uh, it'll have that same Hyros 4-pin DC power jack, and it's also going to have a uh, TA4 DC power connection as well, which is similar to what we have on our 8-series mixer recorders. So we're trying to give people that options. No flying leads. Yeah, right. Yeah, we've had a lot of users who want to use uh, you know, their own custom cable links if they're building this into a bag system, and they'd rather have TA3 built exactly to their specifications. So we think that'll it'll work well. Uh, we talked a little bit about the A10 rack. The A20 receiver can also fit in the A10 racks if you've got an existing A10 rack system. Uh, one thing to be aware of with an A10 rack is the antenna distribution is 470 to 700 megahertz. So you may need to think about a different uh, antenna distribution setup if you're using something above 700 megahertz with an A10 rack. Um, what about the A15 pin? Oh, sure. Yeah, there there's a ver- there's a yeah, small number of users who really like the A15 pin. So it's specific to Sony's camera protocol. So we make kind of a cage system that's for both A10 and A20 receivers that would go right in a Sony camera that has that 15 pin on it. It's a little bit unique in that we're actually sending two channels of audio through that 15 pin connection where Sony's receivers and ours are really the only ones that do that with other uh, manufacturers, you'd have you could send one channel of audio through the 15-pin connection, but then you'd have to send the other one uh, externally out of maybe like a top plate audio connection into a separate connection on the camera. So we've got a, it's a pretty nice system if you've got a Sony camera that needs that type of a 15-pin slot. Yeah. But you know we're integrating things in with Sony, or you could have a electrosonic system that integrates in with an 8-series mixer recorder. Like we're really trying to build an ecosystem for the production sound mixers. Well, it's an ecosystem, but with a very wide viewpoint, isn't it? It's, it's, it's outward looking. You know, it's, it accepts other people's protocols, other, well, other people's you know, manufacturer's equipment. And I was, I'll say as my, you know, my role as an applications engineer, I end up talking with people who use a wide variety of uh, RF equipment, right? And our goal with it all is just to give you know, re- reliable audio. And so I, I tend not to be the guy to tell you, oh, that's a, a problem with some other manufacturer's piece of equipment. It's like, okay, well, let's, we've got a wide variety of equipment here in our lab as well. Like, so we, we try to understand that workflow. And I think that helps inform our product design as well to really understand what various kit people are using out there. We talked before about WYSIWYG antennas or, you know, sure receivers and, you know, our equipment as well. And try to just make that all work well together as a, an entire package. That sounds like a brilliant closing point to me, a real sort of uh, 
demonstration of just why this is working out to be such a great success for people like John working very much with the wireless series or right down to someone like myself who has a mix pre 10 recorder just for grabbing some sounds for post so yeah thank you so much for contributing this to the amps podcast and introducing us to all these new features no it's been a pleasure thank you very much well thanks for having us yeah thanks very much for having us it's been great well thanks once again to paul gary and john for joining us on this special sound devices episode of the amps podcast you can find out more about the a20 wireless family by visiting the sound devices website which is www.sounddevices.com if you'd like to find out more about SpectraBand technology, there is a page on that website dedicated to SpectraBand itself. That's sounddevices.com forward slash SpectraBand dash explained. And if you're curious to learn more about AMPS, then you can also check out our own website, which is www.amps.net. Uh, you'll find information there about what we do as an association, including events, awards and socials. And if you're not a member already, then the website is the best place to find out more about how to join. If you'd like to get in touch with us, have any ideas about possible future episodes, or just give us any feedback on the AMPS podcast itself, then you can reach out to us at ampspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter. We are at AMPS podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Are you looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to? Well, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a handpicked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.